The FBI today shut down what it's calling the most sophisticated internet site in the business of selling hard drugs, including heroin, cocaine, and LSD. Owning a cat is one of the most enriching experiences you can have outside of a planetarium. I only read books where cats are many characters. And this is the world of troll, so-called trolls, and you say at an industrialized level. What explain what trolls, what trolling means in this case? Trolls and trolling um, are kind of old-school internet slang, and they mean people who come in and just try to do whatever they can to be disruptive and to kind of derail the conversation. So it looks well organized. It looks well targeted. How, what? How is it organized, and who's behind it? You, uh, there's a suggestion of a of an oligarch being behind, at least funding it. I love the way he wrote this shit. It's not just like I like the Rolling Stone article, for example. This shit was written like to uh, like for adults or something, right? It was written like a, like a fucking novel, and it was like it was good to read. It was interesting, but it wasn't a story, right? It wasn't good. So uh, the way he wrote this beginning part, which I assume is entire fucking article he wrote it so nicely he wrote it so like you can read this shit like for children dude and i think he did that on purpose and this is the shit content you give us thank you dude saigon shit i'm still only in saigon every time i think i'm going to wake up back in the jungle when i was home after my first tour it was worse i'd wake up and there'd been nothing I hardly said a word to my wife, until I said yes to a divorce. When I was here, I wanted to be there. When I was there, all I could think of was getting back into the jungle. I've been here a week now, waiting for a mission, getting softer. Every minute I stay in this room I get weaker. And every minute Charlie squats in the bush he gets stronger. Each time I look around the walls move in a little tighter. Everyone gets everything he wants. I wanted a mission, and for my sins they gave me one. Brought it up to me like room service. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you apocalypse now and then screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. If you're a real abject head, you're probably wondering why this episode is coming out several hours later than usual. Well, Unless you're supporting humor and the abject on drip, you can just deal with it. Just kidding. Our guest this week, journalist Adrian Chen, is a very busy person. So we had to schedule our interview for the morning when the episodes usually come out. Thank you for your patience, and we hope that you enjoy the episode. If you do, head on over to d.trip slash humor and the abject and throw us just 5 bucks a month to show your love and support. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 74 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. It's been a real fiery run of episodes lately, hasn't it, Screedlers? From artist Lex Brown to meme champion Jensen Leonard, also known as Cory in the Abyss, 
to Matt Chrisman of Chapo Trap House, to Kristen Bailey, a.k.a. at Hexprax, the funniest person who has ever tweeted. And I got to thinking, why stop that hot streak now? Now, my guest this week is journalist Adrian Chen, who has served on staff at both Gawker and The New Yorker. Adrian's 2011 Gawker article on the Silk Road brought both the organized online drug marketplace and conversations about the dark web into public consciousness. And it's frequently cited as one of the earliest bits of coverage on a topic that would capture our attention in the coming years. He's written extensively on the communities of Reddit and 4chan, uncovered the human technologies behind what you see and don't see on Facebook, investigated digital Russian propaganda, and in those pursuits has become a sort of pop culture scholar when it comes to trolling. Recently, Adrian profiled the controversial life-streaming figure Ice Poseidon for The New Yorker in a lengthy piece that explores the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly of personal branding and living content in the 21st century. I've been reading Adrian's writing for several years now, and we've become Twitter buddies over the last couple. We'd been discussing doing a podcast interview for months, and I'm beyond excited to finally get to bring that to all of you today. Thanks, as always, for listening to Humor in the Abject. Doing this weekly show is the thing that I'm most proud of, and it truly means a great deal to me that you tune in, send me your thoughts, and that so many of you support the project by subscribing on Drip. And uh, in in that vein, I want to give a quick shout-out to some recent Drip subscribers, so big hugs to Patton, Seth, Connor, Mike, Matt, and Anna Lee. If you like humor in the abject, show your love if you haven't already by throwing just five bucks a month at us. Go to d.rip slash humor in the abject. That's d.rip slash humor in the abject. If you've already got a Kickstarter account, turns out you've got a drip account. It's that easy. It makes help. Uh, it helps. <laughs> it, it helps make this thing sustainable. And honestly, it makes me uh, just feel pretty good when you show your support. It, it means a lot. I, I do appreciate it. Um, that's plenty for me. Here's my conversation with Adrian Chen. Adrian Chen, welcome to Humor in the Abject. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, am I correct in my understanding that in an effort to own the libs, you are soon moving from New York to Los Angeles? I am, yes. I'm about to go back and pack as soon as I get done with this. <laughs> and, I, I mean, what's in what's in Los Angeles that we don't have here? Uh, I hear they have quality of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah. Um, but also, uh, I am working on a book about gamers and trolls and sort of internet subculture, and a lot of that is based out in LA. So. Really? Mm-hmm. So you're doing research and things like that. You're going to go live, live the life. I'm going to go live amongst them. Yeah. Method journalism. Yeah, embedded journalism. <laughs> Are you a gamer? Um, I am now. Yeah. Well, I, I grew up gaming, took a long break and then sort of started getting back into it. And now, uh, hopefully get way into it. What kind of, I'm not a gamer, but I hear about all of the game. What do you play? What do you like? Well, recently I've been playing the new God of War God of on War. PS4. So I play a lot of console games. Um, is that a, do you play with other people online or is that a, more like a narrative Single. Yeah, that's a single player, and it's just this really brutal fighting game that mm-hmm. has incredible game mechanics and graphics and story. It's sort of got every every part of a game is perfect in it. So I think I would uh, love to play them, but I feel like I would never stop. Mm-hmm. I think I I don't think I could get out of it. Yeah, it's sort of dangerous. I think I've 
managed to find a healthy balance where after an hour I don't even want to play anymore, which is sort of different than when I was a kid. Yeah. I could just go for eight hours, nine hours if nobody stopped me. I was very into, I gamed a little bit as a kid, but it was like Earthworm Jim on Sega Genesis and uh, Aladdin. I thought that was a pretty good game. Aladdin was a good yeah, one. I Aladdin. had that on Game Boy, I think. That's pretty fun. Um, where did you uh, where'd you grow up when you were gaming? Um, I grew up in Rutland, Vermont, which is a small town in South Central Vermont. South Central Vermont. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you ever meet Bernie? Uh, I think I did once growing up. Um, I was a page in the state legislature. Whoa. Okay. And so I was like, you know, in eighth grade and I wore a little green blazer and... Um, I didn't know they really had those. I thought that was just a 30 rock thing. No, they, they have that in the state legislature. And, um, so I met all the politicians doing that and he's been the representing Vermont, you know, since I can remember. So. Yeah. What about, um, what about Trey Anastasio? <laughs> you ever meet him? I'm just naming people. I Trey Anastasio? No, I have not, but, um, he's definitely a Vermont legend. <clears throat> ben or Jerry? I have met Ben. What? Yeah. <laughs> Where? Like uh, at the ice cream factory? He, just socially? He came down to open the scoop shop in our town. Oh, wow. When it opened in like the mid-90s, you know, it That's was like one cool. of the first scoop shops and he came down and I got a picture with him and... Do you know, is he the one who, one of them doesn't have a sense of smell and that's why Ben and Jerry's <laughs> has the mouth feel? I remember hearing is that. Is that true? Yeah, that one of them... Uh, and this could just be like ice cream propaganda, but I remember hearing that one of them, either Ben or Jerry does not possess the regular kind of sense of smell that a normal person has. So the feel of the ice cream was super important. And that's why they have like so many chunks and textures and things like that. Because when you can't smell as much, you can't taste as richly. And so it was about that, like that mouthfeel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So ice cream in Vermont aside, um, you've been a staff writer at uh, Gawker and the New Yorker. Uh, You got bylines all over the place. Um, But across all these publications and platforms, there's this kind of, consistent theme that emerges in your writing which is about internet culture and particularly the some of the ugliest parts of it um did you now you said you grew up gaming um did you grow up shit posting or do you have more of like a socio-anthropological interest in these subcultures online um well i i didn't grow up in this culture i did use the internet quite a bit um but it wasn't a huge passion for me um but i did sort of at key moments have a sort of social circle that centered around the internet. So I moved to Portland, Oregon for college and one of the, um, me too. Yeah, you did (laughs) one time. Yeah. 2009. Cool. It's a good place to go to college. Very chill quality of life there. And you encountered internet culture in Portland. Well, yeah. So I, um, a lot of my friends were part of this online community called urban honking I don't know if you ran into that. Wait, what? It's is that a food thing? No, what is it? Um, it was like a blog community uh-huh. that also had a message board. Okay. Um, so I vaguely was, remember that. Yeah. Yeah, it was sort of a force in Portland at one time, and so I I just got involved with the forums, and you know, we all hung out there, but we also met in real life, so it was a sort of interesting hybrid of IRL and URL. Um, but. But yeah, I, I never really was interested in the internet as a thing um, until I sort of started working at Gawker 
And basically, my interest in these communities is that I studied sociology in college. Ha ha, I fucking nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. Wait, you were at, wait, when did you start at Cocker? Um, 20... Uh, 2009. 2009. And were you doing like night editing or something? I was the night editor. Okay. So I was working from 8 p.m. to midnight or 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. sometimes. And so the only thing that was going on at that time that I could sort of report on and, um, you know, explore in an organic way instead of just like blogging about whatever was happening on the news was all this internet drama. So like weird Twitter stuff and um i i reported a lot on believers in the early days when they were just going wild and like you know hounding people and making things trend and everybody would be like what's going on it's the believers again (laughs) um and yeah that that's the sort of journalism i wanted to do i was really into like the new journalism of you know hunter s thompson Tom Wolfe, Joan Didion, um, sort of really embedding and following this new thing from the ground up. And, and so sitting at home at night, that was one thing I could do without having to leave the house. Yeah. Was it widely, uh, I guess in kind of mainstream journalism, was it widely perceived as kind of like a trite interest at the time? Whereas now it's like, um, all, <clears throat> all we can do is report on our president's use of social mm-hmm. media. Um, it's a bit prescient, I guess, but <laughs> did people take it seriously or was it kind of like, eh, um, I don't, not really. It, at the time, I think internet culture was definitely seen as this sort of weird, um, yeah, unimportant little t- circle of the internet. And it was often, um, people didn't really look into what was going on behind the things that they saw. So it was like, you know, lolcats were big. There were memes and everything and, you know, YouTube videos, but it was when people saw these things, they just thought, oh, that's the internet. Yeah. That's weird. Another goofy thing from the internet. Um, And so it was this sort of black box and nobody went beyond that. And so one thing I was really interested in was just being like, where do these come from? What, what's going on here? And sort of trying to trace it back to the, to the root. Yeah. I remember, God, that was like, it's like 2009, I guess was when, that's when I first became cognizant, I guess, of like meme culture. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the result of a friend of mine that I was in school with in Portland, uh, Craig wheat. He's like an illustrator and a drawer. looks at like Nike now or something, but he had drawn this, uh, he'd drawn this cat, um, wearing glasses with a purple hoodie on. And it was a portrait of our friend, Allison Halter that we were in school with. And he put it on his Tumblr. Um, and it became an image macro of this thing, hipster kitty, which Mm. was, um, it just went totally nuts and i remember this kind of funny thing where it was the first time i watched somebody's content go viral um without them like now that's what people want to happen mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he he was you know mortified because he was just people were selling his art on t-shirts and stuff and now i think you know if that had happened to me just be like well i should <laughs> I put it on fucking tumblr what do i expect <laughs> right. but at the time it was this really interesting thing because we saw something from IRL go URL like crazy and all these people grab it and nobody knew the source of it. Mm -hmm. And so then it kind of gets traced back. But, and I guess now IRL and URL seems like such a silly distinction. Um, but in imagining those times, I very much thought that there was like online and then real life right? and that these were distinct separate things. Um, so you kind of saw people as avatars more easily maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, 
I think that was one thing I was always interested in breaking down was that dichotomy and because people would just be like, oh, that's the internet. And that was sort of the explanation for everything. And, um, you know, obviously you are who you are on the internet and in real life mm-hmm. and, you know, how, how you behave online is impacted by who you are and vice versa. So, um, I think that's, that's changed a lot now though. I don't think people really see a difference. Um, although it might've, I, I feel like it's gone sort of too much in the other way where people don't really, um, make any separation between uh-huh. their online persona and their real life and sort of, um, what's going on on the internet is different, you know, like in real life, you're not like shouting on the street and trying to get likes and retweets. Right. And... Well, there's, I mean, it's, it's like the difference of the second that somebody, you're conscious that someone has put a camera on you and you start to perform like there, there is still, you're right. There's still a distinction between the way that we kind of navigate, let's say walking down the street alone versus when we know that we're being, I mean, we're always being watched, but mm-hmm. when, when we're consciously performing for something like that, it, it's a pretty quick turn. Um, I wanted to kind of walk through some of, uh, I guess your most well-known pieces. I mean, you published a ton in the last, I guess, like seven years since I first read some of your writing. Um, and, uh, while we go through a few of these, um, I guess kind of like Adrian Chen greatest hits, um, <laughs> or in my, you know, my Spotify playlist of your greatest hits, mm-hmm. uh, while we do that, there's kind of this backbone topic, um, that I want to keep in mind and just kind of, I guess, lay out here, which is, um, namely kind of how you manage as a journalist uh, and, and just like as a citizen, as a person who has to live every day, uh, the potential response from fringe internet communities um, when you're reporting on them. Mm-hmm. Um, because by and large, a lot of the communities that you're reporting on, as I mentioned earlier, this kind of like sometimes the ugliest underbelly of the internet or what have you, um, you know, they're notorious for, <laughs> for targeting people, um, whether it's for the lulls or in some cases for something dramatically um, you know, more sinister and in some cases even violent and things like that. So I guess that's sort of, as we go through these, I, I, you have so much to pick from and mm-hmm. the ones that I kind of picked that I wanted to talk about were not only ones that I really enjoyed, but also ones where as I reread them, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I was just like, I mean, what did you think when you sent it to like, to get published? You mm-hmm. know, like, were you just, was there an anxiety level? And I, I wanted to start kind of a while back, which is in 2011, which is the first piece uh, I'm pretty sure that I ever uh, read by you, which was, uh, it was for Gawker and it was on the Silk Road, right? Because mm-hmm. I know that it's now like archive, it, like you can read it on Wired and a bunch of other places, but originally it was posted to Gawker. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I can't imagine that anybody listening to this doesn't know what the Silk Road is, but you sort of, uh, <laughs> na- at the time, people didn't. And in this article, you kind of introduced people to this um, Amazonian marketplace. <laughs> oh God, we can... Amazon, yeah, it's Amazonian, Amazonian. yeah, like, <laughs> as in Amazon, the company. Uh, <laughs> oh no, yeah, uh, just... marketplace where like anonymized users uh, and sellers using Bitcoin could basically um, sell drugs, buy drugs, uh, and it, you introduce people to this thing, but also this concept of the dark web, which I think most people didn't know anything about. Um, and when did when did this Silk Road come across your radar? I mean, how long were you looking at it or following it before you decided to write this piece? Well, the way that it came about was that I was interested in Bitcoin because I had been covering a lot of like anonymous, um, the hacking group and Mm -hmm. WikiLeaks, the whistleblowing group and, um, 
hackers in general and cybercrime and Bitcoin was becoming a thing then and people were talking about Bitcoin and this hacker group, LolSec, which mm-hmm. was sort of rampaging all summer. That a 4chan it was group? it was sort of a spinoff of anonymous and 4chan okay and at one point they sort of tweeted out their bitcoin address and were like donate bitcoin to us and um that was sort of the first time i'd ever heard of it and then i started researching what was bitcoin and it was so early that the, nobody no journalist no sort of mainstream publication had written anything about it there was maybe one tumblr post i found by some bitcoin fanatic and like a podcast that i listened to but all of the information was on the forums on the bitcoin forums Mm -hmm. that were very active and so i just started reading all the forums and the most commented thread was about silk road and somebody had posted which i think it was ross ulbrich the the founder uh had posted like come to the silk road you know Mm -hmm. and with the url and everything and then there was just this massive thread of like is this real? Is this good? Is it bad? <laughs> this huge debate. And did it I, violate the non-aggression principle? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like, like what Fucking are, anarcho libertarian? Are you going to sell like, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> nuclear bombs. What if you <laughs> sold like bombs. a child you, sex slave? Imagine shipping a nuclear bomb. You're just like, well, yeah, it's going to come in a few packages. We got to send it over a few days to, <laughs> we don't want to alert the USP. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, I can't go out. I'm, I'm waiting for my bomb to get here. Like I need to be there for the UPS. And, uh, and so when you say the address was posted for, I mean, this is probably dynamic didactic for anybody who's listening because i imagine that you know but to get to the silk road you have to you had to do what you had to download tor um which is the anonymous browser that allows you to access the tor network which is also known as the dark web and just put in this address which was like a long string of numbers with dot onion at the end Mm -hmm. and um yeah so so I saw that, and I didn't believe that it was real at first. I thought this was a sound hoax. Real. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I downloaded the browser and went on there, and it was, you know, this big market, a lot of things for sale. Um, it had its own forum. You could contact the owner. So I basically contacted who was running it and uh-huh. sent him an email being like, can I do an interview? I want to write about this. And he was like, yeah, sure. I, I really am mad because I can't find those emails anymore. I don't know. And I think they got deleted in some cleaning I did, but, but yeah, we just went back and forth and, and I sent him a bunch of questions and he sent me all these answers and he was going by like the silk road at that time. I think, uh-huh. um, that was the username. Yeah. Okay. And, and then at some point it seems like he got second thoughts and was like, Oh, can you hold off on publishing the article? Like we, we need to upgrade our stuff, our security and our servers, because I know a lot of people will come. And I was like, no, sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm publishing this. Uh, Do you suspect that it was, um, Ross that you were communicating with? I assume so. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, from what I've read, he was the main person the whole time. So uh-huh. I, I think it was him. And, um, Sitting in a little coffee shop in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Typing too. <laughs> That's insane. Um, so I guess the, I mean, were you, how did you, how did you feel about it going live? I mean, were you, was there an ambivalence in there about both like, I mean, you're doing, they're putting it, it's, it's available to anybody who wants to go to it already. You're not, 
you're not doxing them or something like that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, were you worried that people were going to be like, Adrian's a narc? You know, or yeah. Something like that. I don't think you're a narc. <laughs> you know. Well, I didn't really think that because he had given me an interview, you know? It that was, is pretty fucking... <laughs> like yeah, the, the owner other, of the, the site <laughs> okay, gave me point. an interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a little... Yeah, that's... It's and, pretty hard to feel any sympathy for somebody who's like, yeah, yeah, I could talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was more worried that people might be like, oh, he's promoting drug. You know, I linked to it. Whoa. I told people how to get on it. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean, in the end, a lot of people did learn about it. From That's that how article. I heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> and it caused the price of Bitcoin to spike. It, you know, drew all this traffic. And so... Um, I was more, yeah, I was more concerned about like, oh, should I be like linking to this and telling people? And, and I guess at the time I just thought, well, this exists. Yeah. Um, people are doing it and I want to show people that this is happening and what better way than to like show them how to get on it yourself. Basically. Well, yeah. And it was really, I mean, the, I remember the learning about it the first time it was a really interesting kind of concept in the sense that. I mean, I don't know. I don't think that drugs should be criminalized to begin with. Um, and it was an interesting thing to think about a social experiment where people could kind of peer to peer outside of regulations. Um, you know, I guess kind of sell and do whatever the fuck they want. I mean, mm-hmm. again, I know I sound like a libertarian right now, <laughs> but the but the fact of the matter is, like a lot of the arguments that were in favor, of it, which were like, no, it holds sellers accountable, like they can get bad reviews, all these things like that. So it is it incentivizes people to sell. Uh, higher quality um, drugs and Mm -hmm. for people to purchase them in a way that, you know, I don't know, but I guess at the end of the day, when you trace it back, trace it back, trace it back, um, the sources of the heroin and opium and things probably still, you know, those aren't becoming Mm. uh, organic free trade. uh, No. (laughs) Empires And and I think there, there was like an interesting phenomenon too, that, that, like I, I basically agreed with that idea, but there were also like a lot of cases where, you know, kids got these drugs that like they would have never had access yeah, to. They yeah, didn't yeah, know yeah. how to use it. And it was sort of like, they didn't um, come with like an Ikea thing of like a stick man, like right. how to ingest and like, don't look in the mirror when you take these. Yeah. Shrooms. <laughs> and, and it's like, I think I read an interesting article like by a drug researcher who was basically like, yeah, if you are taking these kinds of drugs, you probably have friends and you're in this community of people who yeah, are taking it so yeah, they can like yeah, yeah. tell you how to use it safely. And Good point. it's not, it's once you take it out of that social context, you're just getting this like pill and you're like, Oh, I'm going to take as much as I want. And, um, there is an argument to be had for uh gateway drugs mm-hmm. and like, uh, <laughs> stepping up the stairs one by one, you know? Right. Cause it's, it is, it is sort of like this, learning period um that sociologist howard becker has this amazing book where he sort of talks about um getting into marijuana which at the time was super stigmatized Uh and how it was like this learning process and people taught you how to get high basically yeah yeah same thing with uh eating like mushrooms and stuff like that it was always there was always the friend who had done it a few times that you had around and Mm -hmm. you kind of you know somebody to kind of talk you through something um yeah that's interesting. Yeah. If you just <laughs> never taken anything, you just take some like outstanding acid mm-hmm. that could 
That could be life shattering. Definitely. For like a 16 year old kid. Just in alone in their room, right? <laughs> oh my God. That's, that was the chilling thing to me was like some kid alone yeah. in their room, just like taking this in like, in like Tulsa or something. And they're just like, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, like a year later you wrote another piece for Gawker, um, that unmasked, uh, Michael, I know I asked you this before, Michael Brutch, mm-hmm. that how you say his last name. Um, who was the Reddit user Violent Acres, um, and Violent Acres moderated and posted um, and started some pretty despicable subreddits: uh, Jailbait, Choke a Bitch, Creep Shots, Rape Bait, bunch of other ones. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. uh, out loud. Um, and your article outed him by name, uh, at least kind of loosely identified his career. Uh, the city where he lived. Um, and of course, this is a guy who's publishing imagery of people without their consent, uh, in, including underage girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not losing any sleep about his identity being revealed. But um, did he... Al- he also gave you an interview? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? It's, so, I mean, I guess it's kind of... I don't know. I, I'm, why would... Why would he do Why that? Why would he do that? Well, he he was sort of a character in Reddit, and yeah. he, he had been giving interviews to other journalists. Okay. He, he was on a podcast. That's how I ended up being able to <laughs> identify him. He had gone on a podcast, and then when I called him, I was like, oh, that's the same voice. Yeah. Um, and so, so, yeah, he was sort of like a media personality, and... Um, that was one of the reasons why I felt like it was fine to out him because he had already turned himself into this celebrity amongst these people. Yeah. It's interesting to want to, Ooh, that's going to be a, I mean, I don't really have any empathy for him, but they're kind of teetering on, uh, you have the notoriety of being this kind of anonymous person on Reddit, but also that desperation to want the credit as an individual, Mm -hmm. even though what you're doing is pretty like. I mean, isn't his whole thing like, why? No, I helped wipe out. I, I would remove child porn, but mm-hmm. it's still like you created forums where uh, that proliferated mm-hmm. where people were coming together to kind of do that. And that's a, I mean, were you in that scenario? Were you concerned about retribution being enacted upon you by a bunch of creeps who are on these message boards? I mean, <laughs> um, blowing well, up their spot? A lot of, so a lot of my my thinking about like uh, being scared or worried about any blowback um, is informed by the first story I did that sort of dealt with this kind of thing, which was um, 4chan. The message board had like uh, targeted this 11 year old viral video star in the summer of 2009. I think Jesse Slaughter did her did her dad tell them to stop? Yeah, it was Is like that her, that thing you done goofed. It's like this guy pointing at the oh, camera and having a meltdown. Worst thing you could do. Yeah, well, I guess it was you know internet naivete. That's not. I, I can't blame him. But <laughs> wow. But, yeah, he and and so I wrote about that and sort of picked a fight with Poor Chan and <laughs> um like okay <laughs> exposed their message or their their chat where they were sort of planning to attack her uh-huh. um and then my my colleague at the time wrote like this post about like you know calling them nerds and uh they eventually you know doxed me put my picture up on 4chan um and nothing really happened to me yeah it i got a few calls um some people were like reaching out to my friends on Facebook. It was kind of creepy, but um, yeah, it didn't. It it wasn't that bad. And I think 
a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was writing about it with a very big platform and I sort of knew what I was getting into. Um, I was, I basically could like out troll them, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of, a, a lot of the reason why they can get in on people is that they don't have a platform. Um, maybe they got into this situation cause they had initially done something bad or embarrassing. Right. So they wouldn't yeah. be able to like defend themselves and sort mm -hmm. of, um, without risking it getting more attention or something. But, right. you know, I was just going in there doing my job and, um, it wasn't, they didn't have a lot of leverage over me. And, uh, but they did ultimately like take down Gawker for a while and, um, like through like a DDoS. DDoS yeah. Wow. It caused a lot of problems. And then it ultimately led to, I don't even, I don't know if you remember Gawker getting hacked. Um, kind of, that was like in 2010 or something, but some hackers who had initially set their sights on us because of my article, got together and broke into Gawker and like put, put up one day I like was working my shift and I was about to finish. And all of a sudden I couldn't log in and somebody had posted a, a post under my byline, basically being like, we hacked Gawker. Mm -hmm. Um, here's their whole source code linked to like a torrent of their source code. <laughs> all of everybody, all the users, passwords got leaked oh they God. broke into our internal chat room and leaked some stuff it was oh, a total disaster that's that pretty wild i think i'm sorry for laughing that sounds like it sucked at work but i don't know it's kind of funny yeah it was very <laughs> harrowing experience so i guess oh i guess God. ultimately something bad did happen but even that didn't yeah wasn't as bad as i thought although for the company i'm sure it was horrible yeah. so maybe i'm just naive but i always go into it just thinking I have two-factor authentication on my phone. <laughs> well, I guess, in all, I mean, it, it probably goes without saying, but also, I guess, in terms of, like, doxing and threats and stuff like that, I mean, just, like, on the level, you're, like, you're a cis dude. What's so, that? Like, you're, like, a cis gender oh, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you're at a, the threshold is very different, you know what I mean? For I would sure. I would feel the same way. I'm, like, well, I'm probably not going to walk down. I might get my ass kicked, but, like, you know what I mean? There's right. Like, and clearly those communities know how to weaponize those kind of like those different kind of aspects of social culture. And right. And I mean, it's why immediately it's like, Oh, we're going to Jesus Christ. I'm going to fucking rape you. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? It's a, which is a very different thing than like calling you a fag, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. They like, just like any other inequality, like online, the, the, you know, more marginal and more yeah. vulnerable people in the real world. Also that affects them more. Yeah. Um, and... I talked to Carrie Doran, this curator about kind of whether, um, I think it was about like the, the cyborg manifesto and how much of it <clears throat> needs to be, I guess like reexamined in that online is not this utopian place where like, um, beings without bodies and, and it's this lateral thing. It's like, you're right. It, it just plays out the same the same injustices mm -hmm. uh but with a mob mentality yeah <laughs> so i mean obviously for you know a lot of reasons the, the trolls and the art of trolling are pretty fascinating i mean they they can be in the best of scenarios i think like the extremist court jesters of our time i mean i i gotta be honest i love the idea of people just like to do something for nothing other than to create confusion and pandemonium. Mm -hmm. I think it's really funny. And especially like when people get angry about it, mm -hmm. people who can't, people who don't have the kind of online literacy to understand like 
you're being fucked with mm-hmm. do not don't give them anything like so right i do don't I, feed the trolls you, yeah, but yeah. I, I definitely kind of i get a kick out of that but um you know it's i don't know what's your what's your personal interest in i mean one thing that i always am fascinated by is that the, the troll as being kind of the symptomatic thing of the isolation that happens i guess under like neoliberalism and digital culture and like Mm -hmm. late capitalism that there's this like ability to connect but also this extreme isolation and that's always that with the with the sometimes they're funny is what kind of makes me interested in them but what what draws you to that kind of the mindset the troll mindset Mm. (laughs) yeah i i guess like my original interest in it was just understanding how they were able to get so much attention and sort of like, you know, hijack this attention. And it was a a very sort of like, um, you know, sociological interest. That's how I tend to think about things. Um, and, and yeah, I think, I think just from, from my own sort of like personal, uh, angle, I also have this like strange attraction to people who just are weird and, offensive mm-hmm. and you know i used to be a comedy writer like i i appreciate the sort of art of like walking along the edge yeah, yeah. and and um and yeah they they just sort of did that to the extreme and i was sort of interested in like what what did that feel like what was going on there um and and i think it they are sort of symbolic of a lot of different things that are going on. Uh, I've always seen that that character and that behavior as like a symptom of some larger, you know, societal decay or, or degradation or um, and also the way that the Internet is set up to enable that behavior and, and yeah. those people and um, and how the world is too. I think if you look at them, you can you can sort of diagnose a lot of different problems and issues in in the world. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I'm not gonna pretend like there's not something attractive about the idea of just <clears throat> being absolutely awful to someone mm. just to like. I mean, I mean, they obviously you can get kicks out of getting a rise out of somebody, and it's extra funny to the person doing the trolling um, if the person they're trolling takes it seriously because then not only are they mad online but they also don't even get the joke Mm. and that's like i'm sure that's a very rewarding cycle of like yeah being awful and then watching people flip out and then it's like you dummy i'm not really awful right like the kind of it's infuriating (laughs) yeah i feel like i feel like i used to be a lot more interested in that Mm. kind of thing and maybe like find it funny and something has changed in me recently where I'm just like, um, it to me, that attitude it's, it's supposed to be sort of like subversive. Right. And like, well, it's really conservative and mainstream. Yeah. But in, but in the end it, it only serves to like reinforce power that already exists. Right. Like, like the, the power that comes from sort of like, understanding the the sort of internet irony mm-hmm. um is not is not a subversive power it's no. it's like white dudes it's mm-hmm. um the people who are making money off of memes and um 
so so i guess for me the sort of like subversive angle of of trolling and and troll humor and culture has sort of disappeared for me and right. i think but it it they, it's still really interesting that this behavior has um as i followed it and sort of the notion of a troll right even when i was starting 2009 that was a pretty specialized niche thing yeah. and now the pr- people regularly call donald trump, trump a troll right yeah, yeah. people say oh he's trolling that he's doing this i think ted cruz recently said you know dismissed a, a one of trump's comments was like i think he's trolling mm. <laughs> um and so that's just like remarkable that that this internet culture slang has now become as mainstream as it can be that's like I think that's the first time something like this has happened. Yeah, there's a real parallel though between that and comedy in general. I think the way that um, this idea of I can say whatever the fuck I want, I can do whatever I want. And like if you're upset, then you know that's on you, kind of thing. Clearly, um, you know, people want to call anybody who doesn't take that as you know gospel um, too sensitive or this or that, but it's just people who for the first time their like position of power is being like challenged and interrogated and Mm -hmm. they're grasping to it as much as possible. And so it's the same thing with like a dude being able to go on stage and say some like politically incorrect stuff. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's supposed to be, we we have to protect that because like comedy pushes the envelope and no, in most circumstances that stuff is just reiterating uh, the power dynamics that already exist. And there's, you're right. There's nothing, kind of edgy about it i think the the trolls that were fascinating to me it was it was nonsensical mm-hmm. i guess and not um not meant to uh not meant to recon or recapitulate those power structures but rather nonsense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like absurdism i thought that like i liked i remember people used to comment on you know people would call them a troll or whatever but people would comment things on facebook threads um you know, before you could tag the person or reply to a comment. So they would comment below somebody's status and say something like absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. And then someone would yell at them underneath with like a carrot pointed up above. And then that person would delete their original comment on the post. So it looked like the person was saying, it was just like they were playing with the architecture and it just made no sense. And it was just a little bit like anarchical Mm -hmm. and not so much about like, let's, um, let's be violent. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's make people feel bad. Yeah. It was more like confusion. Mm-hmm. And that's a fine line though, between confusion and just being like fucking rough. Um, right. Well, maybe that brings us to this most recent piece that you publish in the New Yorker about, um, Paul Danino, better known by his online moniker, uh, ice Poseidon. And, uh, I'd sort of heard of ice before you told me that you were writing this thing, but for the uninitiated, could you kind of, who is, who is ice Poseidon? And what does Ice Poseidon do? Well, Ice Poseidon is one of the more notorious of what is known as an IRL streamer. And so he basically broadcasts his life every day for hours at a time. Uh, He started on Twitch. Now he does it on YouTube. And he has this sort of community of obsessed fans that he brings along with him wherever he goes. And they have created this giant subculture around him. It's a lot like if 4chan was just focused on one person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's he's making a good living doing it, lives out in LA and has no life outside of this sort of artificial reality show that he's constructed around mm-hmm. him. 
And he's kind of, um, for all, for everything that's wrong with him, he has, in a sense, uh, he is a groundbreaking person in the kind of technological aspects of what he's doing and the interactivity and the monetization of it. Would that be accurate in saying? Yeah, I think he he is definitely groundbreaking in that he took it all the way yeah. where um, I don't know if the audience knows much about Twitch, but on Twitch when, where people are playing video games, a lot of times people will bring in their personal life. They're, you know, it's about their, their personality and their character as much as how good they are at games, but it's not like they're like, Oh, come into my bedroom. Sure. Um, come with me when I go shopping or on a date. Yeah. On a date. <laughs> and he just sort sort of took that all the way while still maintaining the sort of interactivity and intimacy that, that, brings people to twitch in the first place so um i think in that sense nobody else really now there are some people who maybe are spinoffs of him or inspired Mm -hmm. by him but nobody did that before him Mm -hmm. and could you describe a little bit about like on an average ice poseidon uh stream and and i've heard him or it frequently described to like we're familiar with live streaming and he he's used the term life streaming I think like mm. just actually like what happens on a I mean why would because mm. there's like what like so it's like tens of thousands of people watching this right yeah I think he usually averages around ten thousand but then we'll have like sixty thousand people watching so <laughs> so what I mean why why are they watching what is he doing like what is his stream well. Yeah, it's it's hard. He a lot of different things are going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very offensive. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's um, yeah, incredibly sexist, and you know makes tons of racist jokes. Uh, and a lot of people find that funny. And mm. and so on on the base level, I think a lot of people watch because they find him funny. He's a he's this kind of Howard Stern jackass um, mix. He's he's a, a very good performer in terms of like just always being on, being able to keep up a sort of character like that yeah. for six hours is something that I I don't understand how he does it while also interacting with like it's not just being on camera, mm-hmm. it's you're interacting with a chat room using multiple devices right. right at at every at every moment he's always like looking at his phone to see what people are saying. People can leave donate money so the comments show up and he has to interact with that and um and so yeah i think outside of just the content though it's the community it's the fact that these people are so obsessed with him they have this this subreddit that has like seventy thousand subscribers that is actually one of one of the most active subreddits they really use it almost like a chat room where if you go on there especially during a stream it's like new posts just second you know every few seconds yeah and they create all of these memes and jokes and um and so so yeah there's this very strong community and when you watch him you feel like you're part of something that is bigger than him or you um and the fact that his viewers have such a huge impact on his life like I wrote about this in the article. He he basically had to break up with his girlfriend because they yeah. didn't like her and they boycotted his channel. Um, <laughs> it feels like you really have like agency in, in what's going on in this thing. And so I when, think when they, yeah. when they pay to like when they tip or whatever it is in the, in the chat so that the thing pops up and he has to interact with it. It's basically like in the stream of 
thousands and thousands of people writing things, your thing pops up and you basically, it's, I mean, they're playing him like a video game, right? Mm-hmm. Like they can be like, hey, you have to, I paid you this much money and that's your revenue stream. Now you have to, I'm changing the course of your day. Mm-hmm. I put this thing up, you have to respond to it. Yeah. And go. And I don't know if you've ever done it, but I I tried out like donating a few times, not to him, no. but to other people. <laughs> but it really is, it doesn't seem like if you just watch these donations come up, but when it's your donation yeah, and like yeah, one yeah. second ago yeah. you were you were typing it in and then all of a sudden it pops up on the screen. You feel like you're, yeah, yeah you're controlling something. Well, you watch a human being like respond to it and you're like sitting in like the air conditioning somewhere else watching someone in real life. I mean, I, I understand all the like obsession and appeal of it. It's, yeah. Um, when did you, how'd you hear about ice? I mean, I, you, like I said, you mentioned him to me and I was like, I've heard, I mean, the name is pretty hard to forget, but I was like, what does he do? And then I watched one and I was like, Jesus. Yeah. Man. Like, <laughs> I know you got, you sent me this thing. I like, was like messaging you. Well, cause you were like, you know, he's kind of like jackass mixed with Andy Kaufman. And like, I, I get the comparison, but at the same time, like the thing about, and I'm like, an unapologetic jackass evangelist. Mm. The thing with jackass is most of the time, all of the violence, all of the everything was like direct imposed upon themselves. Right. Periodically they were, you know, Johnny Knoxville's like dressed up like an old man or whatever. And some of it probably doesn't age well, like the public stuff, but in general, what they do is very much like they're not directing that thing outward. Whereas he, I think the one that I don't know if you're watching it at the same time, but he was in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So I started watching cause I've been to Seattle a ton and knew exactly where he was. And he's walking around. And he was like, uh, he was like geodoxing people, mm-hmm. like people on the street. And he would just be like, are you trans? And he would mm-hmm. like yell at them. And I was just like, I guess it yeah, I, pro- cool. probably nothing's going to happen. But at the same time, I was just like, I know, th- I know the intersection that you're at and I'm mm-hmm. in New York city. If you've got all these crazy little fucking weirdos watching in Seattle, I mean, I don't know. Who are these kids? You know, mm-hmm. what if they fucking hate crime this person or something? It's like, that was what. Yeah. Well, it's not abstract out. either because a lot of people who appear on a stream then become characters yeah. amongst the community who will find out more information about them Jesus. and track them down. And so, God. so he, he really does when he walks around, like put targets on people's backs yeah. and it's because of how he conducts himself and his sense of humor and his community's sensibility, sort of like, you know, this like degenerate gamer reactionary thing. It's like the people who are going to be affected the most are like women, people of color, of course. Like, you know, sexual minorities. Um, and, and so it is disturbing to see that play out. I think it also brings home the fact to me that um, what the sort of like what he's doing isn't that much different than a lot of mainstream um, sort of entertainment television mm-hmm. in that he, you know, he's been shaped by like watching TV, watching like uh, all this stuff. And it's like, he's taking these biases and sort of uh, exploding them by making it all live and raw and, and acting it out. Um, yeah. I mean like anything else, he's not, he's by no means an aberration yeah he's like symptomatic of i mean he's he's emblematic of everything that's happening all the time and yeah you're right he doesn't exist in a vacuum it's not like this guy got up and was like hey wouldn't it be crazy if i acted like this it's like (laughs) hey i i know the social cues and i know the social faux pas based on everything that i see and i know how far you can push it Mm -hmm. i'll lean up against it and push a little further but he's not doing anything that isn't happening on every 
It was just like a message board walking around. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every message board, he's like really bringing that culture directly into into life. And so that was what, what sort of interested me because for so long I've been reporting on this stuff and it sort of was all virtual. It was all message board drama. Once in a while you'd have somebody who was sort of doing it, but like he's taken the whole apparatus, you know, of the internet, the the audience, the monetization um, the culture, the sensibility, and just like brought it into the real world, and is like walking around doing that. I mean, um, that's the, that's the weirdest thing about it. I mean, I don't really, I don't really like him, but at the same time, there's something about him that I'm just like, I I don't know, if admirable is the right word, but the the fact that he'll walk around and not be behind a keyboard and do this, mm-hmm. I'm just like, I, can't, I mean, does he get punched? Like, He's definitely people- gotten. Like assaulted, assaulted. Like, yeah. Like I feel like, I mean, I guess if there's a camera on you, you kind of, and and so there's a little power dynamic going on there too. He's right. Like he's provoking you and documenting you, so it's an it's an unfair power balance. But like, there's some people who don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Like they'll No, he's definitely gotten he's definitely gotten assaulted, and I I'm sure something will happen. Like yeah, people get mad at him a lot. Yeah. And did um, you follow? You just like walked around with him in L.A. or? Yeah, I just I just hung out with him. I was there. That's why you're moving to LA. Well, yeah, you're he, joining his. He and his whole crew and <laughs> and this growing scene around him are all boat based there. So, uh-huh. um, I know I don't know how it's going to end but up. You're but you're not going to be on the ice show. You're not going to be. Uh, I probably will because I journalist Andy. I, I have to be hanging out with him and Doesn't everybody. He call everybody Andy. Yeah, my I had a nickname. What were you? Reporter Andy. Report. See, I was close. Or hit piece Andy because they all thought it was going to be a hit piece. <laughs> hit piece and so they everybody i i would get like two or three dms a day when's uh-huh. the hit piece coming out when's the hit piece coming out because oh they were all were excited because the, a lot of them also wa- like hate watch him yeah it's sometimes seems like half of the people just are watching them because they they hate him and want him to be exposed and fail i mean how we're exposed for what <laughs> sorry he's pretty <laughs> exposed for being fake oh well what is fake about it um, well, they have this whole, all these conspiracy theories about it's all scripted. He's scripted. It, yeah, they have this idea that like they he sits down so much with his money. manager and they're like, okay, so you know, today you're gonna walk out and this guy is gonna come and start yelling at you, you know, or like you're like, do these I'm, people know what like day rate in Los Angeles is? <laughs> like how much that would cost? Yeah, I definitely learned that it was not scripted. They have no. There would be so the amount of money that would cost would mm-hmm. be so outrageous. It would just location fees and paying people day rate for being extras, and they all have speaking roles. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> fucking no. If you think. Mm. That's I don't even I'm not even in film and I know that that's a stupid yeah <laughs> idea. It's it's funny. I mean, they're just like really paranoid. But but in that also it's like everybody's paranoid now, right? Yeah. You never you never know when you watch something if it's real or not. Sure. And course. I was thinking about this recently because I was thinking about this um because of that girl who did who stopped the the plane, right? And live live streamed oh, herself I, I saw the, standing I, I up didn't... like to so the Swedish student. Yeah basically as a protest stood up on this plane and wouldn't sit down because she wanted to prevent the deportation of the Afghan guy on there. And I was very conflicted because I was like inspired by it. Right. It was like an amazing thing that she did. But then also I just had this nagging feeling of like, 
is is it really what yeah, I think it is? Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. is the guy like going to be re- actually like um, revealed to just be going on vacation? You know, yeah, like, yeah. Um, or or is it was he like a you know serial like uh, killer who was yeah, going to? Yeah. And um, I think that that paranoia. Um, that was one thing that I really related to his audience with of just being like, everything you see is fake is sort of being sold to you. And Mm -hmm. because I feel that a lot. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I understand the the kind of skepticism. I'm just entertained by the Mm -hmm. like enormous Truman show level, uh, conspiracy that it could possibly be that you could pull that off. Yeah. um, (laughs) Jesus. Well, yeah. So that piece is out in the New Yorker, uh, for anybody who hasn't read it yet. And can, can people, um, are his things are, can I see you on one of his streams? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you just Google, (laughs) if you Google no secrets, ice Poseidon, I I did it. You did a live stream. You streamed um, back. No, I think it, I think it was called no more secrets. So if you Google no more secrets, ice Poseidon, he, I interviewed him on camera and then he uh, streamed it and then archived it and posted it. Oh, okay. And so you can watch like but, my interview with but him. But there's not video of you like walking around while he's... There is. You would have to like... appear in this screen. Yeah, you would have to find the exact days when I was like hanging out with him. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> but yeah, you can you can still watch him. He's, he's back on schedule now and streaming every day. Um, well, Adrian Chen, thank you so much for coming by, spending some time. Um, people, like I said, check out that, uh, check out that latest piece for the New Yorker. I think I saw Sarah Nicole Prickett say on Twitter, if you read one thing mm-hmm. this summer, read this. And yes. she was like, I don't even like this guy, but I, I, not you. <laughs> right, I don't right. like Ice Poseidon, but I've read this numerous times. But yeah, it's a, I think as far as like this kind of all of the things that we've talked about today and where it kind of comes to a head mm-hmm. and all of the questions that I have about these cultures and things that is, that is the kind of singular example that I can think of right now of where all of these things logically conclude. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by like ice Poseidon does not seem like an aberration of anything, <laughs> but a manifestation of all the things that you've been looking at for a long time. Um, uh, well have fun in LA. Thanks. Yeah. Come yeah. out and visit. Yeah. Uh, everybody listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody come to his house. Just like just people d- do DM me. <laughs> I'll send you my address. <laughs> I'm going to dox Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> no, by the time you're listening to this, I'll probably be like an IRL streamer. So it's yeah, gonna be come out on my stream. it's going to be out this afternoon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm, I, it is. I'm releasing it today. Cool. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Well, Adrian, thank you so much. And to everybody out there, thanks a lot. Like I said, sorry, this episode came out a little bit later than usual, but it's coming out on the same day. So I don't know. Deal with it. Uh, we'll catch you. <laughs> next week bye-bye yo it's ricochet bullety beasy i'm kicking over here with my man tsa my man evan you know what i mean of course shout out to my man ice Poseidon. we started off calling the song cx walk but then by the time i got inside we had a sniper come outside and tell us you know what make that shit a scuffed it's walk. A scuff walk i'ma go live i ain't trying to edit shit i'ma go live it's a scuff walk i'ma go live i ain't trying to edit shit i'ma go live it's a scuff walk I'ma go live. I ain't tryna edit shit. I'ma go live. This is how I I'ma go live. I ain't tryna edit shit. I'ma go yeah. live. I recognize I was stumble on the rise. I ain't tell you that I wasn't gonna lie. When you see me do a scuffed walk, get a skin taking out the guesswork. Had him seen slaps, hands flying with some leg work. IRL streaming, call it network. 
I gave this shit my whole life You can tell me what the best worth And when it's all said and done You can make a meme But pay attention to the words Cause I do believe That from the time we all met It was a jubilee I said straight format Like he usually RV's bus ticket off the boat in the seat Only use me, Blade T is saying this is a soft walk I'ma go live I ain't trying to edit shit I'ma go live It's a soft walk I'ma go live I'm trying to edit shit, I'ma go live. It's a scuffle. I'ma go live. I ain't trying to edit shit, I'ma go live. It's a scuffle. I'ma go live. I ain't trying to edit shit, I'ma go live. Normies can't understand the CX walk. Strapped in a track, TTS talk. New leech, get the sniper off. Three dollars now, I'm rapping to a microphone. Reach me, horseshoe with ET. Fans trying to call bowling with a sweet tea. I streamed all the way to Philly And didn't kinda got me feeling sounda silly Editors, I don't even need them Tune in live to Keatum Got rejected, I'm the dating game But now I'm here to make my name It's a scuff walk I'ma go live I ain't tryna edit shit, I'ma go live It's a scuff walk I'ma go live I ain't tryna edit shit, I'ma go live It's a scuff walk I'ma go live I ain't tryna edit shit, I'ma go live It's a I'ma go live I ain't tryna edit shit, I'ma go live Feeling silly like I'm ding ding Martian's calling me, I'm hearing that ring ring All wondering where I'm sleeping Trying to guess the mama of little ding ding And I'm feeling kinda sleepy 4pm, fuck a schedule, I'm still eating Show me your dick, what a bus Dancing with strippers on a bus I make 50k a month of sleeping Grab my goblin dick, I keep beating And they all think this is easy Keep that AC set at 60 freezy Have you got some Captain Crunch? Eat it out of your ass for lunch Soles on my feet, black like Hannah Twitch staff never liked my manners Left hand waving, shut it, fuck it Shorty's chin so big, need a bucket And the condom fucking split But at least I have this hit. <laughs>